Welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman, the owner of a law firm called Grossman & Associates LTD located in Newton and Nantucket, Massachusetts. Welcome to Inside Divorce. Today I'm going to be speaking with Amy Lippman and we're going to be talking about bankruptcy, that is the gift of bankruptcy and the fresh start it offers people going through divorce or perhaps not going through divorce. So I want to introduce Amy to us and ask her to tell us a little about herself. Good Amy. morning. Good morning. I am Amy Whitman White, and I work in Hanover, Massachusetts, which is south of Boston. Um, I've been practicing bankruptcy for more than 25 years, and that's primarily my largest portion of my practice, although it branches out into all different areas, one being divorce, uh-huh. a lot of real estate involved, and other things that, that go along with it. And I practice with my husband, who is also an attorney, and he works doing civil litigation of all different kinds. I see. So your work as a bankruptcy lawyer touches a lot of different areas, it sounds like, including divorce and real estate. Yes. Right. So tell me about uh, and why why you're characterizing bankruptcy as the gift of bankruptcy. Well, sometimes bankruptcy is the fresh start that you need to start over. And in talking about it in terms of in relationship to divorce, bankruptcy can often give you a way to start over without saddling yourself with a lot of debt, allowing your children and your spouses to have that excess income that they may need. What governs bankruptcy? What laws? Bankruptcy is a federal law. It's governed by the federal U.S. Bankruptcy Code. 11 U.S.C., I don't remember if you want me to quote that to you off the top of my head, sorry. But most of those code sections are, you have choices in Massachusetts. You can use what they call exemptions. So when you file bankruptcy, the idea to give you a fresh start is not to leave you with nothing. Because how could you possibly start off fresh if you had nothing to go forward with? So you can have an exemption if you you can choose in Massachusetts between a federal exemption or a state exemption. Federal exemptions give you some more leeway in certain items and state exemptions give you more leeway in other items. For example, if you claim an exemption for your home under the homestead exemption, you can save your home up to $500,000 worth of equity. So that means you can preserve 500,000 even though you've been deemed bankrupt. Correct. So the example would be is, and this generally isn't the case, but you could have a million dollar home, a $500,000 mortgage, and a $500,000 in equity, and that would be preserved under the bankruptcy code. Mm -hmm. Other things that they don't want to touch, they being in bankruptcy, would be your 401k and retirements. I think the federal government looks at it this way. If you don't, if they don't allow you to use your retirement in the future, then you're going to be taking from the government some sort of social security or need further assistance. So you can have over a million dollars in your retirement accounts. Again, not something we generally see, but that's how much you could have. So a million dollars of retirement benefits could be exempt from bankruptcy. Exactly. Mm You can have up to $15,000 in household goods and furniture, which I will tell you, it's rare that people have that much in household goods and furniture, because when you think about it, most of our our items at our home are not brand new. 
And another example is for your car. Um, under the state exemptions, you can have a car that has $7,500 worth of equity. Uh-huh. And that's just for an individual. Uh-huh. So if you filed jointly, it would be double on all of these things. So you could have up to $15,000 in cash in the bank. And if you have not used all of your exemptions, they even give you a wild card exemption. For example, if your homestead exemption, you don't use all $500,000, there's portions of that that you can use if you don't use all of your exemptions for your household goods and furniture. So when you start off after you file bankruptcy, the automatic assumption is that you can't keep your car, you can't keep your home, you have to get rid of everything. And that's just not generally true. not the case. So it's not really as scary as it sounds. No. I mean, bankruptcy, the word itself is scary. I generally talk about people who, in terms of being in financial crisis for some reason that seems to alleviate. And my goal is never to put someone in bankruptcy if not necessary. But sometimes bankruptcy is life-changing. It can, the gift of bankruptcy is it can actually change people's physical and mental beings where I've seen people who had stress and, you know, weight gain and all these things. And a year later, they're in such great They're relieved from the financial pressure. We talked about the filing of a bankruptcy petition jointly, that is married couples filing together as opposed to people filing separately, and maybe the benefit of doing that prior to divorcing. So can you talk about that? Yes. So in divorce, you obviously you have two incomes in one household. After divorce... Or maybe one income in one household. Or maybe (laughs) one income, one household. But after divorce, you have two households and hopefully two incomes. Um, It could be one income supporting now two households. Either way, that's really difficult. So the idea is if you can get rid of some of the debt, oftentimes it's just credit card debt, that will allow more money to be put towards alimony and child support and family support and whatever you need. So if before bankruptcy you file as a unit, you only have to file one bankruptcy as husband and wife, and there's only one filing fee, and it gets rid of all of the debt. But if only one spouse decides to file, it only gets rid of that spouse's debt. Not the joint debt. Not the joint debt. So the other spouse that didn't file is still going to be liable for it. Even if the divorce decree says that the other spouse should be paying for it, the banks who are representing the credit card companies, they don't care. It's essentially, this is a debt that you made yourself liable for. And even though the divorce decree says this, if they filed bankruptcy, they only have one person left to pursue, and that's the non-filing spouse. So if they file together, they get rid of the debt together. It's only one fee, one filing fee, and then they can move forward in a much happier place. All right. So it seems like we're talking about joint credit card debt and joint mortgage debt which isn't discharged if only one spouse files bankruptcy. Is that that correct? Correct. It only only discharges the underlying debt as to the the filing spouse. So if there is a joint credit card and only one spouse files for bankruptcy, is that one spouse relieved of any credit card debt? Or because it's joint, it still lingers on? The filing spouse is relieved of that debt. The non-filing spouse is still liable for that debt. 
100%. I mean, if the credit card 100%. is a $10,000 balance, the filing spouse is relieved of the $10,000 credit card balance, but the, the spouse that didn't file bankruptcy is stuck with the whole 10000 that That's right? correct. Okay. And same with the mortgage. And that's exactly correct. The full 100% of the mortgage is left to the other right. one. It's joint and several liability, they refer to it as. That's right. Interesting. But what kind of debt is extinguished if they both file? So both individual debt and joint debt is extinguished if they file together? Yes. File bankruptcy together? Yes. So oftentimes, you know, one spouse will have a credit card for stores, you know, usually the women have the um, have the different clothing stores and yeah. Macy's, and the husbands will have Home Depot and Lowe's, and, th- and that's probably a stereotype because they, you know, it crosses yeah. over. But it doesn't matter if you file jointly; they include all the debt, and that's part of bankruptcy. Is when you file bankruptcy, in order to get the discharge, you have to show what all your income is, what all your expenses are, and you have to include all your debt. Now, there are certain debts, like we said, your mortgage that won't get discharged and, you know, your car loan that won't get discharged. Those are what they call secured debt, and they're secured by the home and by the car. Well, those debts are secured, so the other debts that so are not secured. So the other debts that aren't secured, like credit card debt, that's discharged in bankruptcy. 100% is discharged. Discharge meaning eliminated, right? Thank you for pointing that out. I'm talking in terms of a chapter seven, which is when there's not enough income to, you know, your income is just meeting your expenses. And there's really just not enough to, to pay those credit card or unsecured debts. Unsecured debts could also be medical bills, almost any kind of bills that are not secured by an asset. So those will get discharged. And that's in the chapter seven area. Then there's also a chapter 13 if you're over a certain amount. Um, If you earn over a certain amount, they have what they call the means test, meaning an average test. But that averaging test is often, I refer to it as the mean test, because usually people's income and expenses are as such, even when they're over this um, limit of what they earn, they still can't do it. But sometimes we have to um, squeeze out at least some where they might pay a percentage of the debt if they fall over the means test, over the average. So people might think that that sounds like a terrible idea, but if you're paying minimum monthly payments on your credit cards, they'll double and triple within a very short period of time. Because the interest rates are higher. Because the interest rates are higher and it gets tacked onto the principal and it doesn't cover everything, so they increase exponentially. Where a Chapter 13, it might be as low as a $50 payment a month and a percentage is paid to each one of the creditors that um, file a claim saying that they're owed money. So that can be as long as three to five years. And it sounds like a long time, but it really isn't. And it really does save people. And it doesn't mean that you couldn't get divorced after the fact, even while you're in bankruptcy. It just allows people a little reprieve because when you start thinking about minimum monthly payments, one credit card, and people have, you know, multiple credit cards. Sometimes they'll have 15, 25. You, yeah. you never know. So if you think about it in terms of that, if you're only paying a small percentage and it stops the interest from accruing, it stops late charges from accruing, and there's an end date to it, and you only have to pay that percentage, it makes a big difference. Oh, so it freezes the balance on the credit card at a particular point in time. Exactly. Bankruptcy court does. And then there's a payment plan to pay off that frozen number. Exactly. Okay. Does it 
it must prevent people from getting new credit cards, you would think. You would think. Years ago, when I started out, it was hard to get a credit card. You know, they're giving them to kids right out of, in high school and right out of high school. It's really scary. Um, And we do go around and try and educate through the bankruptcy court. We have a program. We go into the schools and try and educate kids to make sure that they're aware of it. That's wonderful. Teach kids early. Exactly. About debt, the danger of debt. Exactly. Especially, you know, for kids, student loans are a huge issue. And we're usually in the high schools. Mm -hmm. And what they, they don't realize is after their student loans come out, how much it affects their credit and how they're going to be able to move forward. They can almost always get a credit card, but those are tough to pay back with student loans. Yeah, I see. And it's Uh, tough to get a mortgage. Let's just talk about student loans for a moment. Are those dischargeable in bankruptcy? Student loans, as a general rule, are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Student loans are considered a federal debt. They don't discriminate who they give them to. So you could be 65 years old and going back to school and, you know, age doesn't play a factor and nothing plays a factor on them. So because they give you these loans, excuse me, there's really almost like a no questions asked. They don't let you discharge them as easily. If, in fact, you know, there's something that significantly happens to you where you can never work again, you know, there are exceptions to every rule where they'll allow that. Also, it depends on what kind of student loans you take out because there are two different kinds. There's federal and then there's private. Always take federal, never take private because federal you can um, consolidate. They have programs called the William D. Ford program. And I'm getting off topic, but um, a lot of times in bankruptcy, if someone is trying to discharge a student loan, usually they're referred to the Ford program, which they have income contingency programs where they'll check what your income is and you may have to pay as little as zero and they'll follow up on it on an annual basis. But as a general rule, student loans are not discharged in bankruptcy. Okay. Like those come up in divorces sometimes. Yes. Yes. And that's a, it's usually a big number and makes it very difficult, um, I can imagine, because if the spouse who is going to be paying support also has to pay these student loans, it makes it much more difficult, which is why freeing up any other income, if necessary, is so important. Yeah, I can see the merit of that. So how do you talk about um, filing bankruptcy f- as a fresh start to, to prospective clients when they come to you? Well, unfortunately, people will almost try anything else before they want to use what I call the B word. (laughs) And in this case, it's bankruptcy. So they're usually when they're coming to me, they're at the point of no return where they know that they don't really have a choice. Oftentimes, they'll try and go through these loan consolidations. I don't, I'd like to know what the percentage of them that actually work because sometimes they'll have spent two or three years trying to pay off these debts only ending up in bankruptcy two or three years later where two or three years later they could have already been done with their fresh start and and moving forward. So it's an interesting idea of trying to convince people who are thinking about divorcing to first file bankruptcy, eliminate some of their debt, individual and joint debt. Right. And, and that then would really only, start with, have a fresh start. Right. And that would only be in the case if they don't have the income to do it, yeah. um, which I don't know about you, but, and of course I'm dealing in a different world, but a lot of my clients um, who have gone, are, that's why they're coming to me is because they've already gone through a divorce. So the benefit of it is really 
it frees up so much more income and so much more headspace for people to focus on what's truly important is their lives and their children after the fact, after divorce. So let's talk about the timing. Can people file bankruptcy and be divorcing at the same time? Yes. Until the divorce is final, they can file a joint bankruptcy. I mean, they can also file separate bankruptcies, but you can do that at any time. And bankruptcy doesn't generally stop the divorce, um, where in almost any other case, if you're involved in any litigation, you file bankruptcy, that stops the case because usually there's a debt involved. And that's another reason people could file a bankruptcy is that there's a debt that they couldn't pay back. And it's so insurmountable. And the attorney's fees are accruing and the possibility of losing, that's another reason for filing. In that case, you file it and it automatically stops anything from going forward and they can't collect on a debt where divorce is not the same. Let's talk about credit reports and how bankruptcy might affect credit reports. Well, everybody always makes this assumption with, oh, bankruptcy, it means I can never get credit for the next 10 years. And that 10-year number is, yes, it stays on your credit report for 10 years, but it doesn't mean you can't get credit. As a matter of fact, as a general rule, once you get your bankruptcy discharge, you can almost always buy a car. Now, you may not get that 0% finance rate. Um, You know, you'll be more of a credit risk, so you'll have a higher finance rate, but you can almost always buy a car on credit with a copy of that discharge. And then within two years to four years, you usually, if your income is as such that you've you don't have the debt that you had and you have good credit because from filing bankruptcy forward, you paid all your bills on time and your credit score is high, you can get a mortgage and buy a home. And I've seen that. Or refinance a mortgage. Mm. Some loan officers have programs where even in bankruptcy, if you can show that you made your payments in bankruptcy for a year, plus you made your regular mortgage payments, you could refinance even in bankruptcy. So there's all sorts of options. You don't options. have to wait the full 10 years to you don't get have your to credit wait back. The full 10 years to get your credit back. And that's what's always amazing to so many people is how quickly you you can establish your credit yeah. back so quickly. And what it also does is on your credit report, you may think you don't oh well it didn't list it on this particular debt as part of the bankruptcy. That might be a good thing. But actually you want your bankruptcy to be noted in your credit report for every debt that was included. Because what we often see is once you've defaulted on debt, it gets sold in bulk for cents on the dollar to a collection agency and it could go through three or four collection agencies. And what happens is it gets marked as a new a new collection agency takes over and it gets marked as a new debt they assign it a new um, number and unless you're on top of your credit report the law is is that it's supposed to be taken off after 10 years but if it keeps rolling over as a new debt it could stay on for an extended period of time so bankruptcy in the long run 10 years sounds like a long time but it really isn't, and it, it you, you have a counting point of when it needs to be taken off, and you can go to your credit reporting agencies and say, uh-uh, uh, it's 10 years, all of this should be gone, and oftentimes it falls away even sooner than that. What's your experience in dealing with credit reporting agencies eliminating bad uh, entries? What I have my clients do is, on an annual basis, pull their credit reports, all three of them, and make sure that everything 
is exactly as it should be listed that it was part of the bankruptcy make sure that there isn't because debt in bulk is sold so it could have been in bankruptcy and they just ignored it and sold it off to someone else even though it had been discharged so just making sure that everything is exactly as it is and in that case there's always a sheet attached where you can dispute and you can simply just dispute it saying i dispute this debt it was included in the bankruptcy here's a copy of the page that it was included in the bankruptcy here's a copy of the discharge please remove it mm. and that makes it simple yeah. but if your clients don't follow up on it regularly that's when when you run into issues. I say something incorrect on the credit report can hound a person for a right. long time. And the credit reporting agencies have 30 days to resolve it. Um, so when you notify the credit reporting agency, once they get notice, and I'm always big on making sure you send it certified so you have some sort of, or if not certified, with some sort of return receipt so you have some sort of counting point. They may get back to you and say, well, we checked with this creditor and they said that you owe it. And then, you, then there's a whole other aspect of uh-huh. it. I see. Wow. So the gift of bankruptcy gives a fresh start. And if people who are thinking about divorce can co- actually cooperate long enough to file bankruptcy and get rid of some of their joint debt, well, joint and individual debt, then they're starting a divorce with uh, more hope of a future financial and financial security. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think of daycare costs and how expensive they are yeah. nowadays. If, if you're not paying those payments to these credit card companies and now where you might have a child where you have to take care of and put in in a daycare or, or pay for more child care on a regular basis now you have that ability and it allows you to work yeah yeah i see the benefits of it well it's something new to discuss with divorcing clients certainly tell them what that option is is there anything more you want to tell our listeners about the gift of bankruptcy you know the only thing i actually didn't touch on and, and i'd like to add is mortgages um, because it's a little bit tricky with mortgages with a mortgage oftentimes one spouse will still remain liable for in the divorce decree they'll say this person is going to take over the mortgage but the banks will not change who's in charge of the mortgage and the problem is is oftentimes that someone can't refinance right away to get that other person off the mortgage. And so in the divorce decrees, they'll set a future date after the kids have graduated high school or college or or whatever the reason will be. So when one spouse is unaware of what's happening with the mortgage and the other spouse stops making payments on it, that's really critical that the spouse who's not responsible for the mortgage also and have access to that information. Because what I see is after the fact, after the divorce and the divorce decree says, let's use this example as husband has to pay the mortgage and wife is not responsible for it, but wife is actually living in the house. I mean, it can get to a point where the house is almost in foreclosure or about to be foreclosed. And the wife turns around and said, well, the divorce decree said he was responsible for it. And if you're not getting the notices or getting the statements on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you know, you want to know. So you want to just make sure. And then finally, as far as mortgages are concerned, when you file bankruptcy, when you, you have a mortgage, you have two documents. You have a mortgage and you have a note. Right. And bankruptcy discharges the note, but the mortgage 
is the lien on the real estate stays? Yes, secures the lien on the property. So if the house gets foreclosed on, not that we ever want that to happen, but if that happens, that underlying debt is discharged. So you're not going to be responsible for if there's a $100,000 or $200,000 balance. If you file bankruptcy, whether it's five years ago, 10 years ago, and you didn't reaffirm mean reaffirm that debt, reaffirmation means it's as if you never filed bankruptcy. That's a document that you'd sign. And as an attorney, I would never have my client do that on a mortgage. So you're not liable for it. And then the tax consequence, people would think, oh, well, now it might be considered income to them. But if you can show you were bankrupt at the time, you're not liable for that either. And I'm not a tax attorney. That's about the um, <laughs> that's about the extent of my knowledge or understanding of it. But I think it's important for people to understand that there's different levels on mortgages and what they'll remain liable for and what they won't remain liable for. Mm-hmm. And to be on top of it, I, I, you know, I see that just all too often in my area of bankruptcy yeah. where husband or wife had no idea that this person wasn't paying. Right. It happens a lot. So I'm, I'm confused. So the bankruptcy court can discharge a promissory note that that's the underlying obligation for a mortgage, even though it's secured? Well, because it's secured, you're still going to pay on it. Yeah. So it's kind of in a theoretical way that you're looking at it because that security interest is the mortgage that's put against the property at the registry of deeds. Right. So if you don't pay that, yeah. then you can be foreclosed the on. The lien remains on the property. But, so the lien remains on the property, which is attached to the, the note. Yes. But if the, the mortgage is gone the note is then was the unsecured part of it. So it's really when you're talking about security and security interests, um, it's the same thing. It's probably an easier example with a car. Uh-huh. You know, if you don't pay for your car, they'll take the car back. Sure. But if I file bankruptcy, then I'm not going to be um, for that person. I'm not going to be liable for that car if there's any deficiency, which the deficiency is the amount owed less what they sold the car for. Uh-huh. And that's the difference. So, yes, the underlying note, once the security interest is gone, is now an unsecured debt and you're no longer liable. On once it. the property is foreclosed. Right. OK. Or or repossessed. Once that piece of whatever that security interest was is gone, yes. then it becomes unsecured and it's, and it's discharged. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's complicated when people are divorcing and there's a mortgage on the marital home, for example, a note and a mortgage on the marital home, because often one spouse remains in the home and that spouse is often the one responsible for paying the mortgage, even though the mortgage, the note and the mortgage are in both names. It obviously continues to tie up the credit of the spouse who's outside the home so they can't maybe get a mortgage on another piece of property if they want to. Right. Also, their credit's tied up with paying timely paying the mortgage that's on the marital home. And if the person who's obligated to pay that mortgage, monthly mortgage payment doesn't pay it timely, the other spouse's credit is affected unwittingly. We often put in divorce agreements that the spouse who's staying in the home will either a refinance within a fixed period of time and remove the other spouse's name and if they can't do so within that fixed period of time then they'll put the property in the market for sale so sometimes though you know some person doesn't cooperate with the refinancing process or the listing for sale process and we have to use other means to press that to happen 
or you'll see one of them file bankruptcy and then you have some issues of whether you how how quickly you can force that issue can you make someone refinance yeah. can you force someone to sell yeah. those are questions that get a little bit more difficult that you know the facts are are tough yeah well it's an interesting a complicated area where our worlds overlap in the world of bankruptcy and divorce right correct Thank you, Amy. Is there anything you want to add? It's been really enlightening. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm 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 happy to be here. Um, I'm very passionate about bankruptcy and how it really does help people and what a difference in quality it makes in people's lives. And I really fight with the stigma of it all because my clients who have done it feel so good about themselves. And I always tell them, you know, you can beat yourself up as much as you want or not, because this is something that's been there, that's allowed by the, the government. It's afforded to you. It's a right that you can use. If you want to feel badly about it, you can, but you can make your own choice of whether you want to move forward and feel good and think of it as this is something that was there for me, for people who are ill or people who have lost a spouse or lost a job or any of these reasons that would cause it. I mean, my clients are not clients who are looking to get away with something, which I think a lot of times people think of bankruptcy in terms of businesses, which is a very different world than than individuals. Nobody comes to me saying, yes, this was my dream. I want to file. <laughs> you know, And it's the same thing for you. Nobody comes to you saying, yes, this is my dream. I want to be divorced. That's but true. sometimes this is the, the, the reality. The end. Yeah. It takes a long time for people to make these hard decisions, right? Exactly. Well, Amy, it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you. For our listeners, anyone interested in learning more about bankruptcy, talk to Amy Lipman White, whose office is in Hanover, Massachusetts. And what's your number, telephone number? 781-924-5678. Good. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you'd like more information about the topics covered in our podcast, please contact us at Grossman & Associates. You'll find a competent and experienced team of compassionate, responsive, and innovative legal professionals. Email me at hindell at grossmanltd.com. My first name is spelled H-I-N-D-E-L-L. Or call us at 617-969-0069. Thank you for listening.